Hi guys, I'm Melania and you're listening to Learn STEM, a podcast where each week Liam, Ryan, Nisa and I each delve into and discuss a topic in a field of STEM. Whether that be tips and tricks, interviews, or even stories, we always find a way to both entertain and teach listeners. This week I will be going over the unit one of biology in college courses and AP um, bio courses. So hopefully you learn something out of this and you get an A on your next test. Let's just get right into it. Okay, so As I said, we are going to be going over unit one, which goes over atoms, um, water, carbon, and the macromolecules. And mainly I'll be focusing on the macromolecules as this is pretty much the hardest part of the course. Everything else is pretty straightforward for this unit. And like I said, this is equivalent to a college level or AP level biology course. So we'll be going over water and carbon, tests for determining macromolecules, carbs, lipids, proteins, and nucleic acids in this video. Before we begin, make sure to follow us on Spotify, follow our Instagram, rate us five stars on Spotify, comment, share this episode, and most importantly, keep learning. So let's just get right into the first one, water and carbon. And by the way, if you're listening right now, you can head on over to our YouTube or if you're on Spotify, click on the actual episode and you can have visuals. If you are watching, hello. So water. Um, Water is super, super important in biology. It has super unique properties that make it um, unlike any other molecule. So first off is polarity. Water, um, due to unequal sharing of electrons, um, is polar. So due to the covalent bonds that are formed or covalent bonds form between the oxygen and the hydrogens in a water molecule, And that means that they're going to share the electron. However, oxygen is slightly more electronegative than hydrogen, or it's really way more electronegative, meaning that it's going to attract the electron and the electron is going to try to hover or stay close and tends to like just stay more towards the oxygen compared to the hydrogen atoms. And because electrons are negative, that means that oxygen is going to have a slightly negative charge compared to the hydrogens, which are going to have slightly positive charges. Um, The overall net charge of water is still going to be neutral, but the polarity makes it so that these oxygens are going to easily be able to um, bond to the positive hydrogens of other water molecules and vice versa. And that's going to allow for hydrogen bonds. So these hydrogen bonds um, make water really, really special. So um, due to the hydrogen bonds, we're going to have cohesion and adhesion. So cohesion is the attraction of water molecules to other water molecules due to the hydrogen bonds. And this will allow for things like surface tension. And adhesion is going to be the attraction of water molecules to other surfaces. And this is going to allow for um, capillary action or the climbing up of um, like up a wall of water molecules. Um, Water also has a high heat of vaporization, which means the um, ability or the amount of energy it takes to vaporize a gram of water, of liquid water into um, vapor. So it takes a lot of heat and energy and kinetic energy to get those um, water molecules to fully break their hydrogen bonds and become gas. And it also has a high heat capacity, which means that it's able to easily absorb heat and maintain the heat or cool off the heat um, very, very effectively. So that is why if this is an application, it's very um, 
common for animals to live near water as water will cool down the atmosphere around it um, during the summer, but it also retain the heat in the winter. Another thing is that it's the universal solvent due to its polarity. It's easily to, it's able to really easily break down other polar molecules. It will not dissolve nonpolar molecules such as lipids, but it will be able to really easily break down the, um, compounds of polar molecules. Another thing that I didn't add on to here, but I'm just not remembering is that, um, it is very, or water's, it floats, um, ice floats and it's less dense in its solid form than its liquid form, which is very unique. And this is because the, um, water molecules are actually going to push away, um, when it freezes. Um, so that's why ice is floating and this allows for life to be underneath the, um, underneath a lake, like there's still able to be life. If there, if this didn't happen and the bonds were not to expand, then we would not have life um, underwater. So some examples here is surface tension happening and this is capillary action. So capillary action, we can see that it's, the water molecules are adhe adhering to the side of this um, tube. And you can see on the left side that the surface tension allows for something to actually float on top as long as it doesn't break through the um, top layer. So next is carbon. Um, carbon is one of the major elements of life, which is chomps, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur. sulfur. Um, the Stanley Miller experiment goes over the idea that there's um, mechanism, which is it's a, it supports the theory of mechanism, which is inorganic compounds or molecules are ultimately able to form and create the basis of life in organic com compounds. So um, what happens in this experiment is it simulates water vaporizing and going through um, and getting an electrical spark. So things that naturally happen out in the real world, it shows that in nature, um, a series of inorganic compounds can actually um, be struck by lightning and form the basis of organic compounds, um, thus proving that inorganic things can actually create organic things. So Stanley Miller's experiment proves mechanism, and that's the theory. Um, so organic molecules, those are anything that has carbon in it. So if it has carbon, it's an organic molecule. Thus, the study of organic chemistry is a study mainly of carbon. And why carbon? It is because carbon has six um, a neutral state of carbon has six electrons, which means that there's going to be two in the first ring and four in the second ring. And that allows for up to four bonds to it. And in this case, you can see that there's a bond of hydrogen. So hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons are hydrogen and carbon atoms together, thus the name hydrocarbons. And there are different isomers of hydrocarbons. Um, so isomers are the different structures, um, same chemical formula, just different structures of the hydrocarbon. So there's structural and geometric isomers. So structural isomers, there's chain and branch isomers. So on down here, you can see on the left, um, a chain isomer is just a linear chain of carbon and hydrogens, while branch isomers um, actually just branch out into different components. Then we have geometric isomers, which differ in the um, 
the actual placement of the um, atoms that are connected to it. So cis and trans geometric isomers. Um, cis isomers have the two atoms and they're going to be on the same plane on the same side. So for the top example, you can see that CH3 or methyl is going to be on the top for both of these um, and on the same exact side. Trans isomers have the methyl or just like any atom, just in this case, it's methyl on opposite sides of the um, hydrocarbon. And then um, anatomers are isomers where they're mere images of each other. And this can be seen in drugs. Um, drugs will typically mirror um, or replicate the structure of um, the whatever they're trying to basically um, manipulate or whatever they're trying to replicate. So antomers typically can be toxic, like the um, one side that mirrors the other side. There's always typically going to be a toxic side and a non-toxic side. So functional groups. There are seven main functional groups that we really need to know for this course. So let's just take a group, uh, take a look at them. And these really make up most of the chemical reactions we're going to see in the biomolecules. So first off is hydroxyl and that is OH. So this little squiggly line is whatever it's connected to, but typically it's a carbon. So we're going to say it's a carbon for all these examples. So a carbon attached to an oxygen and a hydrogen. And this can be a dash OH or an OH dash. It just really depends. Um, so, or HO dash, sorry. So hydroxyl is um, typically what alcohols are made up of. If there's an alcohol, it's going to have hydroxyl. And this is a polar substance. You can obviously see because it's an O that it's going to be polar since it's super electronegative. And um, it's hydrophilic just because, like I said, if it's polar, it's going to be hydrophilic. Um, and be able to easily dissolve. If it's nonpolar, it's going to be hydrophobic and not be able to easily dissolve. Next up, we have carbonyl, which is um, a carbon that's going to be attached to a carbon and then double bonded to an oxygen. So carbonyl, um, it will be able to determine two different types of sugars. We're going to have ketones and aldehydes. And um, these two sugar groups are just going to be um, based off of where you see the actual bonds. So ketones are going to have um, a carbonyl group within side of the um, hydrocarbon chain or just whatever chain of the sugar that it is made up of, while aldehydes are going to have the carbonyl group at the end of the sugar chain. So next we have a carboxyl. Carboxyl is um, an acid. So it's going to, whatever it's in, is typically going to make it an acid. It's typically found in amino acids, thus giving it the acid part of the amino acid. Um, and it's going to donate um, hydrogen ions. That's why it's an acid, because it's full of those hydrogen ions, which means it's a lower pH. Um, there's an ionized and non-ionized form, but carboxyl is, is really just made up of, you're going to have a carbon attached to a carbonyl, so a carbon with a double bonded O, and then you're going to have it with a hydroxyl, so an OH. So carboxyl is just a carbonyl group and a hydroxyl group coming together, and it is an acid. And then the non-ionized form is going to be when the OH um, when the hydrogen detaches from the oxygen on the hydroxyl group. So next we have aminos. Again, these are a major part of the amino acids um, 
that we'll see in proteins, they're going to be, their amino acids are always going to have an amino group. And aminos are actually bases because they receive hydrogen ions. Thus, they have a more like a higher concentration of hydroxide ions or hydroxides. So this is NH2 unionized. And you can see when it's ionized, there will be a third hydrogen. So that is its formula. Then we have sulfhydryl, um, which is just sulfur and hydrogen. Um, hydrogen, which is pretty easy to remember because of the name. And um, again, these are covalent bonds, but sulfhydryl also really helps to stabilize protein structures. And it's um, really found in the hair and that's what helps us stabilize our hair. Then we have phosphate. Phosphates are going to be found in nucleic acids. There's always gonna be a phosphate group. Phosphates are PO4 or phosphate and then four oxygens, but you need to be very careful. It's gonna be a carbon, that's the R um, in this case. So we're gonna have a carbon attached to an oxygen, which then attaches to a phos um, phosphorus. And this phosphorus is gonna have a double bonded oxygen, and then it's gonna have two um, ionized oxygens um, below it. And in this case, these are attached to a hydrogen when it's unionized, but when it's ionized, it's going to have, um, two ionized oxygens. So organic phosphates have a negative charge. So they're polar and all of these have been polar, which means that they're easily going to be able to dissolve. Only one group is nonpolar and that'll be methyl, which we'll take a look at. And, um, phosphates when they're released will, um, help in creating ATP or energy. So methyl, like I said, methyl is CH3. So it's carbon and three hydrogens. And um, this is a stable compound that will aid in gene expression. So now it's time for us to look at the macromolecules and the tests that um, will be used to determine if a macromolecule is present in a solution. So the test overview, we have iodine, biurate, benedict, ethanol, and DCPIP tests. And um, in these tests, there's going to be indicators, which are um, some sort of visual aid to show or to indicate that there is this substance that is present. So typically, this would be colors. And all of these tests, for example, it will be the color. Um, will be the main determinant, except for the emulsion test will be the actual um, look of the test, but it'll be like the, the um, emulsification of the substance, but the rest of them will be color. So the iodine test will test for starch and complex sugars. That's what starch is. It's polysaccharides. And um, so like a substance like potatoes will be able to become this like dark brown color. The biuret test will test for proteins and amino acids. Um, it will not test for the specific amino acids present, but it will test um, that and it will try to conclude that there are amino acids in it or in a substance. The Benedict's test will test for simple or reducing sugars. So monosaccharides are very, very simple sugars. The ethanol emulsion test will test for lipids, and this will um, be seen as like a cloudy emulsification of the test, and that's what will indicate um, if uh, lipids are present. And then the DCPIP test, this is vitamin C, which is not a macromolecule, but it's pretty important to put in here that um, that is a test. And then some additional information on the test is that um, monomers are the single building blocks 
of the, bi the macromolecules and chains of monomers are going to be polymers. And all of these are gonna be covalently connected. These are gonna be covalent bonds. Hydrogen bonds form between two water atoms, but um, the rest of these macromolecules are gonna be bonded through covalent bonds. So now let's take a look at dehydration synthesis and hydrolysis. So dehydration synthesis is going to be the formation or the joining together of two monomers to create um, disaccharides, polysaccharides, nucleic acids, whatever it is, the polymers or the multiple monomers. So forming monomers, you're going to remove um, a water. So that's why it's called dehydration synthesis. Um, so in this, we have two glucoses and you're going to take out a uh, water atom, and that's going to create maltose. So it's very important when you're given a formula that you take out, if it says for dehydration synthesis, which is pretty much all these except for lipids, that you're going to take out um, H2O for every bond. So if you have four bonds, just count in between your fingers or every plus, and that will mean that you're going to take out three waters. So hydrolysis is going to be the breaking down of um, these bonds or from these poly um, polymers, and that is going to make water added. So when you add water, it, it's going to absorb and it's going to connect to the oxygens, and thus you're going to have your um, hydroxyls back together, and your bonds are going to break, and monomers are going to be back there. So now we're going to go into carbs, 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 carbs. Um, the function and principles of carbs. Carbs are the primary fuel for the body, and they're the first things that are going to be um, used as energy because they're very quick and efficient. The monomer or the single building blocks of carbs are monosaccharides, and the polymer is polysaccharides. There's also a special group called disaccharides, which is two monosaccharides together. It's very important that you hear this next thing. Carbs are always going to be in a one to two to one ratio of carbon to hydrogen to oxygen. The location um, of the carbonyl group, like I mentioned earlier, will determine if it's an aldose or ketose. So if you want to take a look at this visual, you're going to see that this carbonyl group at the top of the um, carbon chain, this will represent that it's an aldose, while the carbonyl group within the carbon skeleton is going to indicate that it's a ketose sugar group. And um, carbs can be linear or ringed. They're typically going to be ringed in aqueous solutions, um, but they can be linear or ringed, and it really doesn't change the function. So like I said, there's disaccharides, and we're going to talk about disaccharides and beyond. So two monosaccharides together will form um, are bond together via dehydration synthesis, and that will form a disaccharide, two monomers together. Um, these are covalent bonds, and when you covalently bond via dehydration synthesis carbs, that's gonna be called glycosidic linkage. There's a one to four, one to two relationship, but you're not really gonna to need to know that for biology. If it is for chemistry, then you're gonna to wanna to look back at that, but we don't need to worry about that. Oops. So polysaccharides. Um, polysaccharides are many, many, many monosaccharides. So there's two different types of um, polysaccharides. There's going to be storage and structural polysaccharides. Storage um, polysaccharides are things like starch or glycogen. Starch is a polysaccharide um, only that is only digestible in plants or usable in plants. 
while glycogen is um, only digestible and used in humans. When humans eat starch, which we do in our fruits and our vegetables, um, typically our vegetables, we're not able to actually digest the starch. So that's going to pass through us as insoluble fiber. Thus, you're able to um, actually deduct the net carbs. Uh, you're able to find the net carbs by um, deducting the insoluble fiber from the carbs on the back of your nutrition labels. Then we have structural polysaccharides, which are cellulose versus glucose. And cellulose is the structural polysaccharide for plants. It helps give them that um, structure around their cell membrane and glucose is for humans. And in glucose, there are two different types of chains. There's alpha and beta, and this just depends on where the hydroxyl group is. So if you take a look at this um, carb, we're here, we're going to see at this monosaccharide that the hydroxyl group is below or under this carbon chain or this carbon um, atom. And that is going to indicate that it's an alpha bond or an alpha glucose, while if it was above, like how I'm drawing it with my mouse up here, if it's above this carbon chain, then that would mean it was a beta. Um, enzymes that break down alpha carbs cannot break down beta carbs. So this small difference actually means a lot. And um, there's also another polysaccharide called chitin, which is um, exclusive for bugs exoskeleton. So carbs can actually be part of structure. Now we're going to look at lipids. We're almost done. So lipids. Lipids are monomers. They're actually not true polymers. Um, they're very different too in what they actually are, unsaturated, saturated, trans. Um, there's tons of different weird things, but we kind of group them all into this lipid category. So lipids are glycerols and fatty acids. Um, and that will form to make a triglyceride. Uh, Lipids are hydrophobic. The rest of them are hydrophilic, all the other groups, but lipids are hydrophobic. So except for phospholipids, because the phosphate group is um, polar. So you're going to have a phosphate head that is polar and the phosphate tail of the glycerol fatty acid that's going to be the typical hydrophobic. Um, and that allows for phospholipid bilayers to be formed when in water. But yeah, so it's going to be hydrophobic, except for in fact, um, phospholipids, thus it's not able to be easily dissolved when you run it underwater. That's why your hands um, don't really clean off if you have a ton of fat on them um, when you wash your hands with just water. So there's three different types of fats that you're going to need to know, saturated, unsaturated, and trans fat. Let's take a look. First, we have saturated fat where um, every carbon has a hydrogen or as many hydrogens as possible attached to it. This is going to allow for a linear form and thus it's saturated with hydrogen um, atoms or hydrogen bonds. This uh, makes the fat um, solid in room temperature. So like butter is a saturated fat. Unsaturated fats are when there is a cis double bond of the carbons in between this linear chain. So not all of the carbons are going to actually be saturated with hydrogen. It's going to be unsaturated via the name. And this will be vegetable oils or olive oil or any type of liquid form of fat. And lastly, we have trans fats. Trans fats, I always say don't eat them. And that's because they don't actually appear in nature. They are uh, man-made due to the boiling of fats. And um, this is when we physically bond the um, 
carbon atoms together. And this is a trans double bond. And um, if you go back to the previous slides earlier, I talked about how cis double bonds, um, both of the atoms are on top together and trans, they'll be on opposite sides. So um, the, the carbon chains are going to be not on the same plane. They're going to be on opposite planes. And that's why it makes it kink. Um, and so this will be um, saturated almost, but unsaturated. It's its own thing. And then lastly, we have steroids, which cholesterol can be found in. And this is where there's going to be carbon groups that are really linked together. And that's why it looks like this. So if you see this carbon linkage, that is a steroid, which is a lipid. And um, lastly, we're going to go over, or not lastly, we still have nucleic acids. So second to lastly, we're going to go over proteins, which is, I think is one of the best groups, to be honest. The fundamentals and principles of um, proteins. Proteins are amino acids. That's their poly, um, or amino acids are their monomers, which go into polypeptides, um, and polypeptides are their polymers. Um, amino acids can be useful for storage, structure, energy, and defense. So they do everything. Um, enzymes are a type of protein, and um, enzymes act as a catalyst in chemical reactions. So every protein is going to um, have this similar structure that you see here. And um, this is going to have an amino group. So you're going to have NH2, that's your amino group from the um, seven functional groups that we looked at. Another functional group is going to be here, which is a carboxyl group, um, which is a carbonyl and a hydroxyl together. And these are going to be attached to a central carbon, which then has a um, hydrogen atom on one side and in side chain. These are R side chains, which are chains that um, will, there's different R side chains and that will determine what amino acid there is. And amino acids linking together are going to form peptide bonds. So the structure of amino acids, um, structure determines the function, um, just like how everything else is. If you actually um, mess up the structure of a protein, it won't lose its function completely, or it won't lose its um, ability to function the entire time. It'll just temporarily lose its function, and that's called denaturation. If you were to actually mess up the chemical formula, then we'd have a bigger problem, but denaturation can um, be because of an increase in pH, temperature, um, chemicals around it, like concentrations, just any um, abnormal external factor can denaturize a protein. Um, like when we um, fry a pan or fry an egg on a pan that denaturizes the proteins and the egg whites. So there's gonna be um, four different main structures that you're gonna need to know for um, the protein primary structures, which are the sequence of the amino acids. So this actual sequence of amino acids forming together, that'll determine your primary st structure. The secondary structure is going to be the hydrogen bonds that link um, the carbon or the backbones of the amino acids. Um, we're are gonna turn into either an alpha helix, which is this left shape right here, or beta plated, uh, beta sheets, pleated sheets. And um, after that, we're gonna have a tertiary structure, which is when the R groups interact with each other and it's going to coil up even more. And when you have um, these, or these Van Deer walls, but when you have these tertiary structures um, joined together into peptide chains, you're gonna have your quaternary structure. So those are the four main structures of uh, proteins. 
Another thing that you're going to need to know is chaperonins, and these are protein molecules. They are proteins themselves that assist in the proper folding of protein chains, and they act as almost their own little microbiome that allows the polypeptide to enter in, fold itself, and um, go out as the correctly folded protein without interacting with the outside factors that might um, try to denaturize it or just mess up its folding. So, now we have the last one, nucleic acids. We are almost done. Nucleic acids. Um, the monomer is a nucleotide and the polymer is a polynucleotide. Pretty straightforward. Um, DNA and RNA or deoxyribonucleic acid and ribonucleic acid are the um, basis or main nucleotides that you're going to see. So nucleotides similar to nucleic or to amino acids have their own um, structure that they always really have to have. They're going to have a phosphate group. So um, PO4, they're going to have a carbon ring and this will be a five carbon ring. And then they're going to have a nitrogenous base, which can be adenine, guanine, cytosine, or thymine. And um, you're going to have purines, which are going to be your um, guanine and adenine. And then you're also going to have um, pyrimidines, and that's going to be your cytosine or thymine or uracil if it's RNA, um, they switch. And um, these are, you don't really need to worry about them for biology, but the reason why they're um, put into purines or pyrimidines is because of the um, actual carbon itself. One of them will have like a five ring, one of them a six. So um, pairing. A will always go with T unless in its RNA, it'll go with U. So A and U and then C and G together. So if you have one side of the DNA, you'll always be able to copy the other side. And these run in anti-parallel um, forms. So there's going to be a five end and a three end, which will determine where the unlinked carbon chain is. And this will um, be opposite. So um, we just went through the whole thing pretty fast. So that's good. Um, alternative resources to really understand this unit. You can always check out Bozeman science. That's my personal favorite. I'm not a huge fan of Khan Academy, but they do have practice, um, quizzes and stuff. Um, talking to your peers or forming a study group is a great option. And the OpenStax textbook is amazing. That is a great online resource. So good luck. And I hope you guys have a, um, great day. Good luck on your next exam. You totally got this. Bye, Learn STEM.